Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Strength and Speed owner, Evan Preparis. I don't have Brenna on the line with me, but I do have another guest that's been on this show several times. I'm joined today by Jared Renier from J-Ren Fitness. Jared, welcome to the show. Good to be back. Yes, it is. I think you are starting to compete for most appearances on the show besides Brenna Calvert and Miles Keller. So you're getting up there. I think this is three for you. I'm gunning for Miles. I'm going to pick him off for too long. All right. So this episode is brought to you by J-Run Fitness. So J-Run Fitness helps us train as members of the Conquer the Gauntlet Pro Team by writing scheduling and training plans for us. He also trains people of all levels. So if you're just looking to lose weight or you're looking to compete for the podium or somewhere in between, he's got a plan for you. So I think uh, if you haven't listened to the previous episode with Jared, I would definitely head back and listen to that if you're interested in being trained by him. A uh, ton of great information come from him to the Conquer the Gauntlet Pro Team. So this episode, The Science of Suffering, we're going to be talking about several tests that I've done before Endure the Gauntlet to kind of get a baseline on my fitness, and then we're going to talk about several tests I have done or I've done afterwards, at a, which we'll record at a future time, and that will just kind of just kind of get into nerd out a little bit and get into some of the science behind endurance racing. So I took five tests uh, about a month before Endure the Gauntlet. And they included Inside Tracker, so the one where they take your blood and analyze it, uh, movement tests, which we'll talk about a little bit more in general, and then body fat analysis, submax VO2 test, and a general fitness test. So we'll start at the top, Inside Tracker. So Inside Tracker, if you heard the Rhea Coble episode, we talked about it then. But basically, you pay this company, Inside Tracker, and they uh, there's a couple different plans. There's a kind of like a beginner plan that just kind of does some generic stuff or you can go all the way up to the ultimate plan which is like around $500 per test and that one they give you I mean they give you almost more data than it's like I had, I had trouble comprehending <laughs> you know it was just like it was like here's everything about your blood um, which is really cool to see uh, actual hard numbers on it but it was really easy to schedule filled out an online form form or a survey thing and then they send you um, basically this printout and then you go to Quest Diagnostics, like a local center, and they draw your blood, and they send it in, and then you get the results. So it, the actual blood draw took like 10 minutes, if that. And most of it was me like standing around uh, while they labeled uh, empty vials. Inside Tracker, results came back. I'm going to read off some of the things that are included on that, on some of the biomarkers they tested. Um, so they sent back things like, Glucose, total cholesterol, HDL, LDL, triglycerides, calcium, vitamin D, potassium, sodium, magnesium, vitamin B12, folate, magnesium, uh, RBC, red blood cell, magnesium, white blood cells, basophilus, enzonophils, lymphocytes, monocytes. Literally, I literally have two pages worth of, of uh, data. And it shows, one of the cool things about it is, you know, it's hard to interpret all this data, especially if you don't actually study this stuff. But they show you, you know, like a, a red range, so, you know, 
not not good and they show you a yellow range like kind of caution to something you want to watch and then they show an optimal range which is green so everything's kind of color coded it gives you the actual values and then on top of that when you actually go to the main site and you click on each of those values it'll tell you what you can do to improve uh, those things so for me most of my stuff was pretty optimal uh, which is good to see you know it I think uh, I feel like I'm, tr I'm trying to do the right thing most of the time with my nutrition and it was nice to see that actually it show it reflected that the actual blood test uh, the two big ones I had that were in the red were uh, testosterone level so my testosterone level is low and my um, cortisol level some essentially the stress hormone my cortisol level is high so not a huge surprise there so Jared what's your take on on those two those two data points so kind of like you said not a big surprise um you know ideally i know we're kind of like i said we're using this as a baseline but like we talked about earlier this isn't really a true baseline because you've already had a number of ultra events come you know leading up to this event not long uh before so you were still technically recovering from some of those uh, events, but like you're talking about, you know, low testosterone, high stress, or high cortisol, um, those are going to be, like I said, those are stress responses. So not, but it can be like uh, psychological stress, you know, big tests coming up, big, you know, presentation, that sort of stuff. But also exercise is a stress on the body, especially when you do it for extended periods. So that stress causes testosterone to lower um, and cortisol to rise, because like I said, that is a stress hormone. So once those two kind of get, um, out of balance or when one goes down, the other one goes up. So then it's just usually rest and altering your exercise, uh, diet, nutrition, sleep habits, all that sort of stuff to try and get those back in alignment. Gotcha. So any other recommendations besides more rest and assuming, which I do want to stay within WADA standards, <laughs> right? Cause that obviously there's right. a, there's a non WADA solution. And one of the things right. where you actually fill out the survey online, they actually ask you, like, do you abide by World Anti-Doping Agency standards? Um, so it was funny it was when I clicked on, like, oh, my testosterone is low. Let's see what I can do to improve that. It was, it was just kind of blank. I was like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> you know, because so I, I checked that, yes. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, sorry. With with that, you know, like I said, eating, you know, better rest and recovery are going to be your best bet. Um, you can boost that by – changing your lifting uh, habits somewhat. So so for someone like you, I'm going to guess that you're lifting mainly for endurance. You, know, you have longer sets, uh, higher reps, that sort of thing, versus if you had switched to more of an, and this is probably more of an off-season program for you, but you know, going heavier with your weights, uh, maybe a few more sets, a lot less reps, um, that sort of deal, you can increase testosterone and the body's response that way, but still it's going to be measuring your rest time and making sure we're staying in the right uh, ways for that. But other than, like, kind of like you said, other than uh, stepping outside of WADA's recommendations, there aren't a whole lot of ways to do that quickly. Gotcha. And for, like you were talking about, you know, outside essentially work stress can affect that too. Oh, yeah, definitely. So I, I also recently got a new Garmin watch, the 935, which is pretty awesome. And one of the things it has on there is like it, it does wrist-based heart rate, which I'm not a huge believer in. I don't think the technology is quite there. 
Right. But I will say, you know, this is the second garment I've had with wrist-based technology, and it's this one seems a lot more accurate than my last one. Um, mm-hmm. And this one actually measures my heart rate at all times. So, nice. so we, which is pretty cool, and it's been getting like, it gets pretty low when I sleep. Um, but it also has like some sort of I haven't actually read through everything on it, but it has some sort of stress detector on there, and I'm typically at low stress. And when I told my wife that, she's like. Yeah, I know. Nothing bothers you. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of true. Right. So I I think my stress is, like my outside external stress is already pretty low. Um, but, yeah. Any other kind of big takeaways you saw from the inside tracker? I, I, I What I did is I shared the results uh, with Jared. And I'm in, right. in addition, I'm also just going to publish them directly online uh, whenever I get a chance. So this is, we're recording this right after North American OCR Championship, so... My Facebook feed is filled with all sorts of uh, NORAM stuff, so I'm just going to give it a couple days to th- that dies down. Um, nothing's really jumping out at me. Uh, your glucose was a little higher than what I was expecting, which is like your blood sugar. Um, with that, you know, around 100 is kind of what that top end of, or I should say the bottom end of what they're going to call pre-diabetic, and you were up around 93. I'm going to guess yours was a, you went in for a fasting I did. Uh, glucose. So it's a you know one of those where they're not gonna red flag you for anything, but one of those where just with you being as active as you are, I figured you might be a little bit lower. But on the same uh, on the same note, with you being that active, you may just uh, keep a higher reserve of uh, blood glucose in the system just because you're gonna use it. So your body's like, well, we know we're gonna use this, so we might as well get rid of it. Um, same thing with your HDL, which is your good cholesterol. Um, that was a little bit lower than what I uh, would expect, but again, with you being uh, having that a little bit higher stress level, and not you do I know you do lift weights, but and exercise a lot, and that helps out with that. But so I'm going to guess that that is probably some of that stress and cortisol response as well with that. Gotcha. But looking, nothing else is really jumping out as red flags or anything. So like I said, your your results were all right there either green for the majority of it, and then a couple yellows and yeah you're good cool and like you said earlier on this is not a quote-unquote true baseline because i took it about two weeks after uh dirt runner's six-hour race um so not a whole lot of recovery time after after that but you know i, I knew i needed to get it done before endure the gauntlet and my schedule was kind of packed so i gave myself as much time as i could uh between that and kind of my next race which was uh, right. north american championships so um, but moving on to some of the other things. So I also got, did a body fat analysis via bod pod. So basically they put mm-hmm. you in a, um, they put on some spandex, they throw you in this pod and using air pressure, it determines your you know, amount of bone you have, amount of muscle you have, amount of fat you have. And one of the interesting things was I did with this, one of these in 2015, which was right before I got into OCR. So I was doing a lot of heavy lifting. Um, I was also bouncing back and forth between endurance training and lifting. And then it was right when I was getting to OCR, I took the test, and then I took one again uh, about two weeks ago. So I have two measurements before pre-OCR and currently, and the results of that showed I've actually lost seven pounds of muscle, and I've gained two pounds of fat. Now, I think most people would be like, oh, no, you're losing muscle, but I was – Hoping for the, I was hoping to lose some muscle. I was hoping to keep the same body fat, but 
you know, I, I think I was carrying a little bit too much extra muscle around from my uh, heavy lifting days for OCR, where you just didn't, I just didn't need that much for, um, not that I have like a huge amount, right? But it's just, right. it's just a couple extra pounds that you have to carry up a mountain or on a run or haul across a rig. Um, yeah, one of those where that five pounds over a 50 mile race will wear and tear on on your joints and ability to carry that 50 pounds or that extra five pounds. And I think some people who may not be familiar with endurance training would be surprised by that because, you know, like, well, you know, according to the calories in, calories out model, like, I'm burning exponentially more calories than I used to, right? Like, I'm going for significantly longer runs. Like, the amount of calories I burn during a toughest mudder, it's a lot. You know, running 45 miles uh, at, quote-unquote, like a hard endurance pace is, um, that's a lot. But I will say one of the things I've found from doing endurance racing is it upregulates the desire for food. So I'm like always hungry versus <laughs> when I was when I was doing less endurance training and lifting more, I could control what I eat a little more because I was like, well, you know, you know, I'm not that hungry. And then on top of that, you know, I, I know that when I consume something, it's there's a chance it'll be stored as fat versus now I'm like, well, it's just more fuel for a run. So I think. Um, personally, I know my diet has uh, definitely slackened a bit since I still eat pretty healthy compared to most people, I think. But I know my diet has slackened since it was uh, three years ago. Right. So, um, for those of you who are in OCR just for the cool race pictures and a little less care about results, you know I think you'd be better off switching to a higher lifting program, more strength based and less endurance based, and then just kind of really watching what you eat. And just have muscles fun. look better in pictures. They do look better in pictures. <laughs> and so what's funny is like, you know, I think your most critical person is yourself. And I look at pictures of myself now versus my pictures two years ago, and I'm like, oh, so much leaner back then. But um, it I, like I have, I have two extra pounds of fat compared to what I did uh, back then. So some room for improvement, I think, on for me personally for uh, cleaning up my diet. But at the same time. Um, yeah, my my performance when I was way better than it was uh, three years ago. I'm better at obstacles. I'm better at um, moving my body weight around, and I'm a better endurance runner. Right. So, anything else to add for the body fat analysis? Um, not really. Kind of like I said, just one of those where your more specific training style now lends to just a a, a less muscular uh, body type, just with know focusing more on ultra distance like i said that's heavier for the body to carry so the body is just naturally going to shed some of that muscle if you look at you know the extreme example marathon runners where their wrists and their calves are the exact same size um you know it's one of those where you know they are super specialized and part of that is you know just genetic predisposition they're built to be those types of uh, athletes but you know that's an adaptation that their training has afforded them. Like they're, they know that they want to be able to produce force for a long period of time, and to carry around extra weight is going to be disadvantageous to that. So their body naturally just sheds some of that muscle. They get really good at creating uh, force with that with the little bit. I shouldn't say the little bit because they still do have a good amount of muscles in their legs. But with that uh, reduced amount of muscle compared to other athletes, um, 
Yeah, it's just a part of the specialization process. So I was not shocked with your results at all. Gotcha. And I will say, from a mental standpoint, you know, like you, I spent so many years lifting. It was like, I remember when I switched to OCR, it was it was like almost hard to let go of the muscle mentally because it's like I worked so hard for this, you know, and you, you built it up over so long, and you got to get used to, uh, at least for me, for making the switch between sports, I had to get used to being like, well, it doesn't really matter what I look like. What matters is how I'm performing. So, right. uh, physique based versus performance based. Yeah, getting getting past that vanity piece of getting being used to just having that much muscle. Yes, absolutely. All right, and then we this was kind of very unique. This was set up through you, so we did some sort of movement test. So why don't you explain to people what that was? So what it was is on a system called the Dari system. It's actually a company out of Overland Park. Um, what it does, it takes that has cameras that watch you, but it's also mainly just kind of motion tracker technology. And the kind of best way to describe it is if you think of CGI or video games motion capture technology, where people wear the suits, uh, the spandex suits, and have ping pong balls all over them. It's kind of like that. Only this particular system, you don't need the suits covered in ping pong balls. It picks up your elbows and you know all your different joints like that, and it puts projects basically a, a wire frame skeleton over your body as you do these 19 different motions or movements in the test that you went through and through that you got a what was it seven page uh printout of force production joints range of motion uh it was even able to calculate some strength uh variables in there based on everything you did um one thing i thought was kind of interesting was like you'd said you had uh your left knee had been giving you some issues off and on, and even just going through just body weight exercises, it was able to, to pick up on on that, both in the knee and in the hip. So that was something that I thought was kind of interesting through what were, you know, essentially fairly easy exercises for you. Like, you didn't even break a, break a sweat doing those, did you? No. I mean, the exercises were – I mean, the arm stuff was preposterously easy. It was like, you know, move your hands back and forth and raise your arms up and down and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it's and then all just the, range of motion. The leg stuff was again not hard. It was a lot of it was like plyometrics type stuff, or like box jump type things, or jump down from a box and then jump up, or five times right. jump as high as you can, or balance on one leg, things like that. <laughs> so I mean, that was a little yeah. more, I would say, challenging. But again, I was not sweating at all. Yeah, you, you were not taxed by uh, any of it. Yeah. Um, but again, the only thing that I found uh, surprising on it was you were you were a little more uh, at risk of injury than I thought you might be. But again, these were still not long after ultra events. Um, not surprising, your power output is less than <laughs> less than stellar. Yeah. Uh, but but again, you're an ultra athlete. You don't need to do big explosive motions very often. You know, maybe to get up over a wall, but you for when you lose that explosive, you have the ability to, you know, your muscles just pull a leg up and over and then get yourself up rather than having to rely on that one explosive jump to your body halfway up the wall. Right. So that, and then your balance was off. Um, which explains which why it took me forever to get slack line. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Z beam, Z beam. I got, I, I basically knocked myself out of contention of uh, Wichita two years ago. Cause I couldn't get across Z beam. I eventually did, but it, it 
it took like 10 minutes. So right. I'm, then, I'm much better at it now. Um, I find that for me personally, if I don't practice a very specific movement, I'm not as, I mean, not shocking because specificity, right? I'm not as good as right. it, but I feel like my learning curve is um, slower than other people's. So I've, gotcha. I have to practice that movement a little bit more. Gotcha. And then, so yeah, and the only thing I could think is if you've had a history of, uh, you know, if you've had concussions or any head injuries, stuff like that, they, that may be a part of balance as well. But I don't know if you've had that history, if you just naturally have bed balance or not. So, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I took my vehicle, took one IED. Uh, it was, it wasn't a big guy though. So yeah, <laughs> I don't think it was one. too big. It was a little guy. <laughs> I blew the tires out and took a couple of chunks out of the armor, but, uh, right. it wasn't too bad. Yeah, and so that that may or may not be a factor um, with that. Like I said, you could just be naturally not have as as good a balance. Like you said, that it could just as part of that slower learning curve. Could be. And my my convoy's taking a couple too, but I'm I didn't hit my vehicle directly. Um, right. And all the all the ones all the ones that I was a part of, everyone came out mostly fine. I think the worst right. one we had was uh, we had, we had a guy break his legs, but that was it. Basically, uh, it was a Bradley, so. It, Dented the bottom of the vehicle and broke his legs. It was actually, gotcha. it was actually during changeover, so I don't actually, I actually. I'm not. He was not one of our soldiers. He was one of the uh, previous unit soldiers that was essentially showing uh, us around. So he was supposed yeah. to go home in like two days, and it's like, congratulations, you broke your legs. <laughs> Merry Christmas. That's, that's it, the story that you always hear. It's always right before you go. Yeah, it was like right. I think it was Christmas Eve. Uh, oh, it was something like that, or or it was right before Christmas or right after Christmas. I can't remember which one, but. Yeah. Um but yeah, so uh back to the Dari <laughs> stuff. <laughs> a little bit of a sidetrack there. But um but no, with that like I said you get you get all the kind of balance imbalance sort of stuff, but it also gives you and this is more in, into the nerdy like the super nerdy stuff, but it'll give you all, almost similar to a force plate readout of your jumps, um right leg over left leg favoring hip mobility, range of motion, how your uh the speed in which your body's generating that force, both for the concentric and non-concentric, which were, I guess, for that one, whether you're going to be what we'd normally call a vertical jump, where you're standing up tall, squat down, then explode up, which is be, which is your, your counter motion uh, or counter movement jump, versus one where you are starting in that squatted position where you don't get that kind of reflex down and up. You stay squatted for a few seconds, stop your motion, and then explode up. Um, you get all your different kind of force rates of force production um, with that, and it's like I said, f- for most people, it's lines on a it's lines on a sheet of paper. Like, oh, cool, look, it's different colors and squiggly lines. If you know what you're looking at, you can see kind of variables and then kind of how to train uh, accordingly for whatever you want your optimal output to be. So it was really cool just seeing that wire diagram and motion capture thing. Uh, if we could get like a Planet of the Apes overlay on me next time. I think that would be really cool. I think that would make it also a lot more interesting. Because yeah. um, that's what, yeah, that's what it looked like, the wire diagram, like you said, in the movies. And the other thing I thought was cool was, so KU, obviously a big school for sports, um, was like, I think it, it would be cool. I don't know if they use it this way, but to me it makes sense. If you had a recruit coming there that you wanted to play on your basketball team or something like that or run track or whatever, um, you know, if you run, if you ran, if he said he was 100% healthy and you ran him through those tests, you could identify weaknesses, right? Because I knew my left knee is not perfect, 
and that test showed the rest of the people in the room that my left wing wasn't perfect. But I knew that going in. Right. Um, so I, I wonder, do you know if KU uses that to, like, screen recruits? Because it seems like it would be really good for that, especially if you're about to give someone a, you know, a scholarship. Right. I don't think they use that to screen recruits just with that being over in the, you know, like that was in uh, Robinson uh, Hall, which is mainly an academic hall rather than opposed to an athletic, even though it had gyms and weight rooms and stuff like that. Uh, mainly just because with the cost of doing that with each one, you know, if you're trying to run – 30 recruits there, through there to try and pick your top five, your top two, and then you have your, you know, your, whether it's going to be undergrad running it or a grad student, their time, you know, that's time out of the lab that they're working away from different, uh, whatever their thesis and papers are. Gotcha. So I don't, I don't think they use it for that, but I know that my advisor, Dr. Fry, uh, specifically does like to work with athletics as much as he can because they don't have all those tools at their disposal. Um, and so if they have questions on, hey, we've been noticing this or, you know, what happens if we do this different training mode? Um, I know Dr. Fry, <clears throat> excuse me, and the head strength coach for over Olympic sports, uh, Coach Hootie up there, they have a pretty good working relationship. And, you know, one kind of doing, uh, I won't say doing experiments for the other, but, you know, talking, bouncing ideas off one another, since Dr. Fry has access to all the labs and the cool toys and stuff like that, he'll, you know, he'll do a, a study and then kind of go back, give give the coach or give Coach Hootie what the information they found, you know, let them do what they will with it. And especially with Dr. Fry's main emphasis being overtraining and what all they can do with that, that is a, a lot of the coaches have an interest in that just to see how far, you know, they can safely push their athletes without inducing rhabdomyolysis or um, any, of the, any of those sort of things without you know, those kind of what's the point of diminishing returns sort of deal. Gotcha. Cool. Well, uh, I'm excited for the post-test and see how that goes. <laughs> it will It will not be it's a, It will not be a wonderful test. Yeah. Well, I'll, if, you're unim- if you're unimpressed before, be prepared to be extremely unimpressed. <laughs> So I'll, I'll actually probably be more impressed with the drop off just because I'll nerd out to that just to see how much you wrecked your body <laughs> in, in that 48 hours. So the funny part is about all this data, right, is, you know, there it essentially is showing it's like ranking you against like the general population or the fitness population. But, you know, part of me is like, oh, well, my scores are low. And it's like, but at the end of the day, to me, it doesn't matter because I'm showing results on the race course. So. If I, right. if I if I'm at the bottom, you know, ten percentile of all everything, but I'm still, you know, winning races and getting on the podium, then honestly, I don't care. Or like, I don't care what my body fat percentage is. I really don't. Um, right. I I care in the sense that I can, if I can improve on that to make myself a better racer, then I care. Um, but as far as like, from a, again, from a vanity standpoint, it's it doesn't really matter. Yeah, medals look cooler than body fat, so. <laughs> But it's right. one of those, and yeah. yeah, go ahead. So yeah, no, no, go for it. I was gonna say with with that, with you being so specialized, and like I said, it's it's measuring you against other athletes or other people, but you are in such a niche speciality of you know, or specialty of you know, where you don't need the explosion versus most other athletes. So yeah, you're going to rank lower there. But like you said, your results aren't gauged against those. Yours are results are gauged against other individuals in your in your niche specialty so 
Yeah. So the next test I took was a sub-maximal VO2 max test. So basically I got on a treadmill. Uh, they start, I started running, and they were you know, measuring my heart rate and uh, how much oxygen I was using, basically. And then I think it would stop that. It was like 85%, I believe, of my what was my estimated max heart rate. And then it spit out. It used that calculating data to figure out what my VO2 max is, so essentially the maximum oxygen I can utilize per kilogram of body weight. And right. so they don't actually – the true VO2 max test, I mean, they run you until you basically fall off the treadmill. Um, it's so pretty horrible. Yeah, it's painful and it's awful. And I mean, you have a if you're not comfortable having like a mask on while breathing, it can be really weird because you're, um, you know, there's something in your face the whole time. Yeah. But this one was fairly. I was actually a little disappointed because I was like, no, let's keep pushing it. Let's keep pushing the base. <laughs> They're like, well, you're at 85% already or whatever it was. So um, it was a little disappointing. But at the same time, so they, they show you the graph, and I think according, according to the graph, mine was 60.9. I don't remember what the uh, – it's like kilogram per milliliter. It's, mil, it's milliliters per uh, kilogram of body weight per there minute. There you go. There you go. So. Um, yeah, you're off, you're off the chart. Superior for your age group is uh, 52.5 milliliters and above, and you're at 60.9. So, shocker. Yeah, I mean, I figured I figured my own should be pretty good since I run a lot. Yeah, exactly. So this one, so the body fat analysis, the VO2 max, and then the one we're going to talk about next, the general fitness test, were all done through the Army, so the Army Wellness Center. And, you know, like working with Inside Tracker, they're specialized for athletes. So they understand what I'm kind of trying to do. You know, I know you personally – you're familiar with the OCR world, so you, again, you, you understand what I'm doing and the kind of stress I'm putting on my body. The Army Wellness Center is used to people like, hey, I'm trying to lose like 10 pounds. So like just going in there and explaining to them what I'm trying to do, like it was it was like an ordeal in itself. It's like, just give me the, just give me the data, man. Like I can't. Right. You know, like I, I remember I went in there last year to talk to them, um, to ask them some questions and... Uh, I told them I, I do endurance obstacle course racing. They're like, well, what does that mean? I'm like, well, you know, 8 to 24 hours is kind of where I get good. And they're like, 24 hours? They're like, well, how many 24-hour races are you doing? And I was like, I was like, all of them? I'm, I'm doing all of them? <laughs> you know, it was just like, like, it's funny because you're, like, as an endurance athlete, there's a point when, like, when you first start getting into it where you're really excited to tell people, like, all I want to talk about is how I ran a marathon, right? I want to post it all right. over social media and blah, blah, blah. And then after a while, it becomes just, like, background noise. It was like, that's just who I am as part of my life. And then you, I feel like at some point you, you crest a hill and it becomes almost like, I don't like to talk about it that much because I have to ex do a lot of explaining, <laughs> you know? And, like, how many times do I have to explain what ultra-distance obstacle course racing is? So, like, I love talking about it with other – like, if you listen to this podcast, I love talking about it with you because you already have a, that baseline of knowledge and we can get into a little more of the details and, you know, talk about the gossip and all that stuff like that. But, right. you know, to the average person, it's like – you know, it involves like a 10-minute conversation where it's like, no, it's like Ninja Warrior, but it's longer. <laughs> yes, I run for – like, I don't sleep during the 24 hours. Yes, I eat. You know, it, it's like a whole list of questions. You um, run the whole time? Yeah. <laughs> Like, well, you, I've had someone be like, well, you can't do obstacles for 24 hours and run. And I was like, no, no I can. And there's like, <laughs> there's like a whole host of people in the desert 
well, you know, I have a, when Walsh saw his mother was right. in Las Vegas, that do it every right. year. So like, it's not like I'm just like I'm one in a you know a billion. Like there's a there's a there's a there's a bunch of people who go out there and do this. So yeah. Um, so that that was a little bit painful in general. Um, and then they also made me sit through like a you know intro to healthy eating class, which was <laughs> which again great for the general population. I, uh, they were, they were big on calories in calories out, which again, I think a problem with that is for those of you who are trying to, you know, reduce your body fat and gain muscle. Like when you, if you just tell people the calories in calories out, that's all that matters. Um, I just don't think it's true, right? Like I can eat 2000 calories of Swedish fish every day and have one body type, or I can eat, you know, lean protein, low glycemic carbs and healthy fats of 2000 calories and have a different body type. Exactly. Uh, um, and then the other problem is when you tell people, you know, if you cut 500 calories a day, uh, you know, this is what it equates to in weight loss in the long term. People are like, well, why don't I just cut 1,000 calories a day and I'll lose <laughs> weight twice as fast? And you get into this, like, negative food spiral where you're just, like, not eating because you're trying to cut calories. And then your body starts slowing down its metabolism and, you know, right. and then you start eating normal again and the weight goes back on. Anyway. So I, I that was a wild tangent. Um, you complain yeah. about a class, but um, yeah, I'd say the one good thing that they kind of pointed out in that class was they showed a bunch of like common meals that you'd get at a, like, you know, Olive Garden or you know they yeah, just basically just your average restaurant. Yeah, and they showed you how many calories were in the meal, and they were just like astronomical, right? Like two thousand calorie meals uh, for one meal. That doesn't you know it doesn't include soda. It doesn't include beer or dessert or anything like that or appetizers the breadsticks or whatever they're giving you right so that's just the meal and water yep so that was kind of eye-opening um uh, not that i eat at a lot of those places but at the same time you know i i still eat out uh, for dinner occasionally so right <clears throat> but your uh, results from those tests yeah any uh comments on the any other comments on the vo2 max test before we move on no like i said you're a runner it was high yeah not surprised. And then the last one was kind of a general fitness test. So they was like uh, grip strength, flexibility, some weird like it was like a shrug. It wasn't quite a shrug, but it was a, it wasn't quite a deadlift. It was somewhere between the two, hmm. um, which I don't think is even accurate because I think it's hard to get the movement correct to get a true reading. Um, so we did that. We did grip strength, and I was real excited to see how my grip strength was. I was like, yeah. I'm gonna be off the charts on grip strength, and they the results come back, the and they're like, "You need to work on your grip strength." And I was like, "Are you, are you having kidding me?" I was like, "I need to work on my grip strength." I was like, "You don't understand what I do," but the problem with this was I didn't know we were gonna do a grip strength test. Um, so this was Tuesday after Conquer the Gauntlet, Wichita. So Saturday, uh, if you saw that video on my Facebook page of me going from the floating boards to a hanging rope to shore where I throw my body on the shore, I destroyed my grip getting across that. You know, like, max effort multiple times in a row. Um, after Conquer the Gauntlet, the, my palms were actually sore. Like, the muscles, the little tiny muscles in your hands, they hurt. They were sore, uh, which is not the first time that's happened to me at Conquer the Gauntlet. And then I went to the ninja gym on Monday. <laughs> And then I went and took the test on Tuesday, so it's safe to say my grip was not recovered fully. Um, 
again because I didn't know I was taking a grip test. So I I failed that. I wouldn't say I failed, but my results were t- were below average. Which yeah, you uh, you were below fair, which I, I thought <laughs> was funny. Yeah, so for an ultra endurance obstacle course racer and someone who I would say prides themselves in their obstacle skill uh, was not <laughs> not the results I was expecting or hoping for. Right. So I won't be surprised if we actually see that number go up in the post test. Uh, it depends on how uh, on how soon after the. That's true. That is so, but yeah, like I said, that one again not a true baseline for where we're at. Yeah. Um, and then my flexibility was actually all right, even though I think my flexibility is terrible. So, um, but I know that. Again, that that telling me my flexibility is poor is not going to. Um, <laughs> it's it's already I'm already tracking that issue. Right. And I do think there's some sort of I do think there's some value in, you know, I, people are like oh well you know if your muscles are real loose you know that helps with flexibility and stuff like that. But there's there's also a value in a certain amount of tightness to your muscles because there's going to be that uh, return. When your exactly. muscle stretches, it, it has that reflex where it, it'll essentially uh, bounce back. Exactly. So, yeah, you, you want a certain amount of elasticity in that. Because like I said, loose muscle can lead to more flexibility, but then you're also going to be have a looser joint capsule possibly, which will lead to more uh, injury-prone, things like that. So you want to have that balance between not being overtight where you can't move and then being loose enough to be able to move but still have that reflexive capability. Now I typically re- I typically recommend a you know more of a dynamic warm up pre run or pre exercise and post exercise um, I still do a little bit dynamic but if you're gonna do static do it post exercise is that yes do you concur with that yeah um, yeah pretty much spot on I don't think you're gonna be hard pressed to find any any comp competitive sport above maybe middle school that still does a uh, static stretching warm up. You know, and when we say static stretching, we're talking about the standard like bend yeah. over and touch your toes, and you know, right, yeah. lunge to the right and now hold. Exactly. You know. Yeah. If you're not moving during your stretches, that's going to be a static stretch. But yeah, uh, majority of whether it's high school, college, professional, go through some form of a dynamic warm up, and part of that is due to static stretching causing a actual uh, inhibition of force production. So you're going to lose the ability to create force just with the way that kind of reacts in the muscle belly and talking to your nervous systems and things like that and a whole bunch of science that goes on. Um, now, granted, you'll still see, especially in the pros, you'll still see those NFL guys down there stretching. They're having the trainers stretch them out. Some of that is just due to a comfort. You know, that's what they've always done since they were a kid. So they'll have that stretch a little bit, and then, you know, you'll watch them go into their jogs, their high knees, their more dynamic movement sort of deal um, to kind of try to get some of that elasticity back into the muscle before they go. But depending on how long and how hard you stretch, that can be an effect for uh, quite a while into the sporting event. Gotcha. Now, we've rambled on for quite some time, so I'm probably actually going to release this as an episode and then release the post results as a different episode. But before we go, let's kind of run through the tests again, and let's talk about how, what do we think is going to change dramatically um, according to each test. So with the blood test, what do you think we'll be seeing for the post immediate post-event uh, results? Um, testosterone is going to be super low. Uh, cortisol is going to be super high. 
Um, I imagine some of the electrolytes. Now, granted, you're going to be fueling that whole time, but just kind of depending on how that goes into the later stages, I would not be surprised to see some of those uh, go down just because, again, you're going to be doing constant work for 48 hours. Um, red blood cells probably won't change a whole lot. White blood cells and some of your inf- other inflammation markers, so a bunch of those neutrophils, basophils, all those sort of stuff, I wouldn't be surprised to see some of those numbers go up as uh, inflammatory response kicks in that way as well. So that would be those would be my guesses right off the stop for blood markers. Yeah, uh, sounds sounds reasonable. I generally concur with that. Yeah. Uh, okay, body fat analysis. That's not good. You, yeah, go ahead. Go for it. I don't see that changing a whole lot. Um, you may lose a little bit of body fat, but you're not going to, you know, most of your weight changes from from that are going to be just in sweat loss and water loss. You may lose a couple pounds of fat or maybe, and I'm going to see a pound of muscle changing. Um, the only, the only, the biggest difference from there would just be that this test was a month before the actual event. So that gives you a month of training to change that one way or the other. So that would be, that would be the only big change I see from that. It wouldn't be from the actual uh, event itself. Gotcha. And I am eating more because I know I'm going to run for 48 hours. So right. I actually had, I, I'm in New York right now as we're recording this. I actually had some pizza, which is a rare event <laughs> because if you live outside of New York, your pizza is terrible. I'm just going to put it out there. <laughs> You just gotta know. I, I can't argue it. I, I've never been there, so I can't. New York argue pizza it. is by far the well. New York pizza is the best, and then there's actually a place in Delaware called Grotto Pizza that I don't know what they use in the sauce, but it's like crack or something because it is delicious. <laughs> and I will, Jesus. I will go there and just crush slices of Grotto Pizza because I can only get it if I'm in Delaware, which is not very often. So nice. All right, movement test. Yeah, movement test. That movement test is probably where we're going to see the biggest changes, in my opinion, um, especially because we're going to try and get that as soon after as possible. So basically once you kind of regain the ability to, to locomote by yourself without the aid of others, um, depending on your schedule, we'll get that, try and get you in the back in the lab and under the uh, cameras and see what that's going to be. But that's where we're going to see a lot of the, the changes is whether it's being – in range of motion from soreness, um, force output is definitely going to be affected, just because you know you're gonna be you're, you'll be shot. You'll yeah, you'll just be wasted. It's not gonna be fun. Yep. <laughs> and you're and you're well aware. Yeah. So, uh, any changes to VO2 max? You think? Um, the, the only thing I can see that changing is due to muscle soreness, and just you won't have the muscle ability to uh, basically kind of gut through it. No, I shouldn't say gut through it. Like, the mind is is stronger than the body. But um, just your will to kind of push that for that, even at 85%, that's still going to be a pretty maximal effort, depending on how soon after the event you run that. So I don't see that changing a whole lot in actuality. But the test itself may change just due to from what physical damages happened in the muscle itself. Yeah, I, I concur with that. I, I, could, I could see that going... I can see that the value going down, but in actuality, my VO2 max is still 100% the same. So, right. Um, just the test, I skew the actual the way the test is uh, performed a given. And then general fitness test, which is like the flip. Uh, yeah. yeah, again, something like. Go for it. Uh, I was 
don't all those tests work as the names on here or uh, kind of vague? You know, I'm, the one you said is the shrug slash deadlift test, I'm guessing, is the, what they're calling the back strength. Yep. Um, that may change a little bit, but, uh, yeah, so it all just kind of, again, going to be a lot of muscle soreness and actual the physical damage that have been done that will skew those tests again. But your grip strength may go up. <laughs> yeah. So that, that would be a plus. Uh, again, we'll see how far after the event it is. Um, I'm going to try to get it basically the week after. But, right. Uh, we'll see. Again, like you said, i got to be able to physically move to – to do some of this stuff <laughs> uh, right so the worst i've ever been is after a hundred miler uh i did a hundred miler a month after world's toughest one year 2014 terrible <sighs> idea but i was supposed to do world's toughest with a team the team dropped out it was just me uh i was doing well so i pushed my body pretty hard and then i was already signed up for the hundred miler so i i felt obligated to do it uh and i had to walk right. backwards for like two days which is pretty awful <sighs> That yeah, it was terrible. Like people, were, people at work are like, "Why did you just stay home?" I was like, "I don't know. Is that an option?" Like, I still have to, like, I'm not using a vacation. I already paid yeah. for it. <laughs> so, um, and really, I, I was in I was in class at the time, so all I had to do was sit in class and and do nothing. The funny right. part is, uh, so my dad actually paced me for a lot of that. And, you know, he's like, I think he was like 69 at the time, and uh, so we go back to the airport. And um, I, I can't move. I can't move around the airport. Like I'm, I'm not gonna catch a flight. Period. So they bring, they right. bring like the the old person golf cart to drive me around. You know, and they, and they, and, and a wheelchair. Um, of so they, they drive me to the gate, and someone else meets us there with a wheelchair. And instead of going up to me with a wheelchair, they go up to my dad. And my dad's like, no, I'm fine. He's like, it's the young one. The young one can't walk. You know, and the, the woman is completely embarrassed. Like her face, the girl's face turns red. It was pretty funny. So that's my good 100-miler uh, story. But you got a cool belt buckle out of the deal, though, I right? I did, yeah. yeah. It's got a gator on it. So nice. It was in uh, Texas. Uh, trail run over Texas was the series. And Brazos Bend, 100 and there's actually alligators on the course. So it's really flat. Uh, it goes between trail and concrete, um, some muddy sections. But you run by lakes, and there's, like, alligators about 5 to 10 feet off the trail. Good. And when you're, like, 85 miles in, it's like, if this alligator lunges for me, like, I'm going to die. Like, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. like, I'm not running outrunning anything, right? And I know alligators only lunge for, like – they're super fast for about ten or fifteen feet, and then they they pretty much give up. I was like, but I can't make it right. out of that ten foot that that ten foot zone. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're well behaved though, I guess, or they're fed or something because none of them even cared. Uh, they didn't move at all. Um, but when you ran at night and you had your headlamp on, you did see their eyes glowing, which is kind of freaky, especially when you've been awake for like twenty hours. So, yeah, that that would definitely be bothersome. Uh, good, uh, interesting experience for a hundred miler. All right, I think that about wraps it up. Um, for those of our listeners that want to get in touch with you, best way uh, to reach out to you? Um, Facebook, at J-R-E-N Fitness, J-R-E-N Fitness, and then same thing for Instagram. Cool, and then for those of you guys that are interested in Inside Tracker, hit up their website, InsideTracker.com. Again, they have a lot of uh, plans that you can use to kind of figure out where you know one how much money you want to spend and then two how much data you want for the results and uh 
you know, on top of that, they give you the recommendations for how to improve all those things. So uh, the thing that I'm going to post online is only a fraction of what they give you. The actual website, I mean, it is robust, right? Like Jared, I, I let you, I showed you yeah. all the the pages, and I mean, you can you can really nerd out and kind of dig through that stuff. But it's also it's got enough data for like the sciencey sports nerds in there. But I also thought it was easy enough where it's like, here's what this value means. Here's what you can do to improve. Here's some suggested foods and or supplements you can take to fix it. Yeah, that's. I thought that was a really cool thing that that they had. I was that, when you first told me about that, I was a little uh, skeptical as to what all they would offer and how in depth it would it would be. But once you got the results back, like that was, I just thought that was really cool because, like I said, you you don't just get the values and it's on you to look them up. They tell you, you know, here's what this means, here's what this means, here's how you boost it, here's or in some cases, here's how you lower it. You know, what all that sort of stuff. So that was really cool. Yeah, absolutely. So. InsideTracker.com, check them out, uh, sponsor of Endure the Gauntlet, and uh, I will see some of you in Tulsa, and if not, please take a moment and donate to Folds of Honor. Again, Folds of Honor provides scholarship money to children whose parents were killed or wounded in action, so that's what Endure the Gauntlet is raising money for. As I'm recording this, we're sitting at about $2,500 total raised. We're looking to get to $5,000, which is how much they award their scholarships for for uh, different kids. So... Please take a moment to donate, even if it's only for a couple bucks. To me, I think it's the thought that counts. Um, in the, well, the money counts obviously too. But like for me personally, like you know, if someone donates a hundred dollars or someone donates ten dollars, I'm not like, oh, you know, that cheapskate. It's like, you know, I appreciate I appreciate someone taking the time out of their day and their wallet to, uh, you know, throw a couple bucks towards a good cause. And I think exactly, especially for this cause where, you know. You know, a child growing up without a parent because they died in military service to me is is just something that, like a child that child should not shouldn't have to deal with such a hard life lesson at such a young age. I think it's just you know, um, it's just absolutely terrible. So yeah, you know, we all on Memorial Day everyone likes to you know post on Instagram and Facebook and all this stuff, and uh, I think this is a chance or this is a great charity to to show more than just, you know, vocal support. So please do, please do donate. Uh, great charity. Um, I know charities, there's like a percentage that actually actually goes to the kids and a percentage that they use for operating costs. Uh, Folds of Honor is extremely high when you compare it to other charities. It's like 90, it's like over 91% or something insane. So, um, yeah. and you look at some of the other ones, they're down in like the 60s or something, something crazy where it's like, where's my money going when I donate to this? So, love me some Folds of Honor. Yeah, don't research UNICEF. <laughs> yeah, but yeah <laughs> alright Jared thanks again for coming on uh, this will be out right before the event and I will see you in Tulsa and I will see you on Sunday for the Tulsa team race um, sounds good try not to let me collapse <laughs> I'll, have my, I'll have the backpack ready for you to jump on alright I'll see you soon so, sounds good <laughs>